The Mentors If you listen you'll have fun Hope you're not the only one The Mentors Please subscribe and be a friend We would love you to the end The Okay, let's probably start the actual content of the podcast that our audience is so <laughs> patiently waiting for. You mean our audience doesn't want to hear our musical abilities? We might top the charts with this song, with him. I don't know. Even though we are like the Jackson 5. The Jackson 2. The Jackson 2. Which 2? Uh, I'm, I'm Michael. Janet. Okay. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> okay. That Fine, was, you could be Janet. I mean, you know, nip slip once in a while doesn't hurt nobody. Oh, you know what? I want to be Justin Timberlake. Oh, then you're going to make me have the nip slip at the Super Bowl show? Is that, yeah, girlfriend. Is that the role that you want to... All mm-hmm. right, uh, let's Don't move on. Don't be so quick to walk away. Vadim, <laughs> you are not JT, yeah, but... but did, did you hear that tenor? Um, the falsetto? I did not. But listen, let's get right into the episode because I'm really personally excited about the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is how anybody can become a better public speaker. Vadim and I uh, believe that the ability to confidently express yourself is important for anyone, whether you're already a successful entrepreneur or you're trying to become one. And so we want to give you some tips and tricks that we've used in our careers uh, to become more confident, to be more effective as speakers and communicate our message effectively. Uh, and I think that um, you know it may seem when you see people that are confident on stage, if you go to events or if you hear other founders speak, it may seem that they're born that way, but I'll, I'll tell you that from our experience ourselves and people that we know, that's just not the case for most people. And so it is possible to improve, even if you're starting off as somebody that's naturally very, very nervous when it comes to speaking in public. And by the by, it doesn't matter if you're introverted and just hate the idea of getting up in front of people. You have to Try to get over that fear. And so one way of doing it is, of course, by facing your fears. The more often that you do it, the more comfortable you will become with the process. But if you're going to be a leader of a company, if you're going to be starting a business, if you want to grow something, create something out of nothing, it's simply a skill that you have to hone because there's countless of examples of when you're going to have to put that skill into practice, whether you're addressing your employees or um, a bunch of investors or you're at an event or you're sitting on a panel or um, uh, you know you're pitching your product uh, in a sales capacity in front of five or ten different people and stakeholders it's pretty much the same exact process and the same exact fear that can kind of creep in and make you doubt yourself so the way that you fight that fear the way that you become prepared is by understanding some of the pretty simple techniques that we're going to talk through in this podcast that can help you be more confident um, I, I will say that you know before you get any further into this episode, I'll, I'm going to be upfront and tell you that there is no real shortcut. One of the best ways and one of the only ways to to get rid of the butterflies that you get every time you get in front of people and talk is actually, um, I guess, exposure therapy, for lack of a better word. You just have to do it over and over again until it becomes a little bit more natural, until uh, it becomes almost like a part of you and a process that you're just more comfortable with because you've done it enough times. So there's no real shortcut for that. You have to put yourself in, in a position where you are speaking in front of groups in order to get better at it and fear it a little bit less. But there are other ways to get over that fear. 
uh, and we're going to talk about them in about a second. But I want to tell you that um, you know when I when I gave my first real speech, and Vadim and I have been, uh, I think, giving speeches since we were in high school um, as part of a political debate club. But I never fully felt comfortable with it. Um, Maybe because we were nerds. We were, <laughs> and we just wanted the ladies back then to like us. So we thought, you know what? Let's join a political debate club. Because that's where all the ladies are at. Yeah. Ladies or men, really. Anybody that showed us any attention was yeah, a win. Uh, but Insecure much? Uh, well, you know, you got you to gotta build that up. Um, yeah. But it wasn't, I, I mean, I think that, I'll be honest, I, I think it was easier for us maybe than for some other people, even in high school. But we weren't the best at it, and I still felt those butterflies in my stomach. And by the way, I think it was easier because we did acting as kids. Our, our parents forced us, so we, we kind of had to be on stage from a young age. But even if but you're yeah. an actor, uh, when you get up there and you have to speak in prose and you have to basically think, uh, speak from your head completely, not from lines that you memorized, it's a completely different process. So let me tell you a quick story about the first speech that I did. Um, it was about a year and a half after graduating college, maybe about a, yeah, about a year and a half. Just got my first job at a startup because I wanted to learn sales, and they hired me first for an entry-level sales role. And um, I got signed up. Somebody volunteered me to go to a college campus, Northeastern University, to talk about our product in front of students because uh, we sold to businesses, but we also had, had to have students sign up to our platform to use our product. And I thought, well, you know, this is college kids. Uh, what do they know? I, I'm already a working professional, and I I know exactly that I, I know that I'm going to do really well because I'm confident, because I'm smarter probably than they are. I think that's, you know, I, that was somewhat my thought process. Someone's pompous. Uh, maybe a little bit pompous, but I thought, oh, I already know this product. Um, I'm totally just going to go there and crush it, and the students are going to love me. Uh, and so I didn't take it very seriously as a result. I think I prepared for maybe about 20 minutes just looking into the product a little bit. And when I got there, uh, I think there was about 30 students or so in the room there to hear about you know us as startup employees, but also to learn about the product. And I totally bombed because I didn't really know what I was going to talk about. Yeah, I knew the product, but I didn't think too much exactly about what I was going to say. I think I thought that it was going to come to me because I knew the product so well. And as a result, I froze because, again, the butterflies kicked in. And I was in front of all these people, and I'm searching my in my head what I should say next while trying to sound smart. And in the end, I think I ended up sounding pretty stupid. Uh, and so after that experience, I told myself I will never go to any kind of presentation, whether it's in front of three people or it's an, if, if it's in front of 300 people. I will never go into a presentation without preparing thoroughly many, many times for a very long time, so I'm very comfortable with the material and confident without, about what I'm going to deliver. And uh, to give you guys an example of how we put that in action, uh, years down the line, after we had already had more practice giving talks, uh, we closed a contract where we had to deliver essentially a lecture. It was an interactive lecture, but a lecture that was seven hours long. And at no point before that did we have any experience in talking in front of people for that long period of time. And so we already knew, okay, we have to be overprepared in order to increase the chances of success, in order to make sure that this seven hours actually flows, doesn't bore people to death, and uh, leaves them with information that and takeaways that will stick with them for a long time. And so what we did was, of course, we started preparing months in advance. I remember, I remember coming to Vadim and saying, how, because we've never done it before, 
Um, and t- by the way, teachers have to do this every every single day. So right. thank you for teachers everywhere. Um, our our parents are both educators. How in the world are we going to keep all the information in our head about what we're going to say for seven hours straight? I it, it seemed unfathomable to me how that's even possible. But we came up with, with a way to Well, do the it. first idea was cliff notes. And then we decided, no, that's not going to work. Uh, this isn't elementary school. And we can't have 50 uh, <laughs> flashcards in our pocket for every 10 minutes <laughs> of things that we're going to say. So luckily, there are two of us. And so in terms of tackling just the massive amount of content that we had to put together, we divided and conquered. Uh, we basically made an outline. And you should always start with an outline, just like if you're doing a long uh, project or an essay or you're writing a book or whatever. In this case, it was a seven-hour lecture. Start with an outline where now you can break it down into different subjects. And uh, then we picked which subjects each of us respectively was more comfortable in uh, creating content around, where there would be a little bit less friction, where we could come up with this content faster. And then we literally split up and said, don't talk to me until you come back uh, with at least 50 slides on each topic. When we eventually came up with, I think it was 150 slides total, so 75 slides each, we were left with a ton of content that, we didn't know if it was going to be seven hours long or 14 hours long or if we would just breeze through it and do it in three hours. And so the first step, what was the first step? You guessed it. <laughs> you have to do it. You have to talk through it. You have to actually sit down or stand up or whatever works for you in front of a mirror, in front of a camera, although that'd be a lot of memory on your phone that you'd be using, and practice the content and talk through it. And so what we ended up doing is uh, that seven-hour lecture, we practiced backwards and forwards. The first time I think we did it in five we did it hours. Forward. We did right? it forward. We only. did it forward. We didn't, usually, we didn't do it backwards. Yeah, that'd be a waste of time. Yeah. So the first time we did it, it ended up being, I think, five hours or four hours. It was a little shy. So then we had to self-correct and adjust and iterate, by the way, just like you would as an entrepreneur. Um, and we had to think, okay, where can we expand the content? The second time we did it, we fit it in uh, six and a half hours. The third time we did it, we fit it into seven hours. And then the fourth time we did it, we did it again in seven hours. So that was four times seven hours. That's a full work week of just practicing the talk. Right. Um, So, and of course it was pretty tedious and we broke it up into two hour chunks where we would take breaks in between, maybe go work out or something so that it was a little bit more, you know, achievable and we didn't get bored to death doing it. But we had to do that that many times so that we would get comfortable with the content. So the next question that probably comes to all of you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is, okay, seven hours of content, holy schnoodles schnoodles uh it's a new word that we created schnoodles it stands for i hate it uh, schnauzers and noodles that's the worst you are the worst we are flat today but you know what uh so uh the is running off of about an hour and a half of sleep i know i had a i had a long night and so um basically you know the, the next question that comes to mind is how do you actually memorize seven hours worth of content. Well, the short answer is you don't. You don't. Uh, you don't. So you really can't memorize that much content. If you try, uh, you're either a super genius and you're you're going to do great or you're completely setting yourself up for, for failure. Well, the truth is also that even if you're giving a 20-minute presentation, don't try to memorize it because you're going to freeze up when you're in front of people. It, it, even if you remember every single word, even if it's a five-minute presentation, to be honest with you, you remember every single word of it. By the time you get to minute two, you forget one of those words, it'll derail your entire presentation. You don't want to depend on your brain to be firing on all cylinders at every minute of that presentation 
while you're in front of people. Also, when you're giving a talk, momentum is really important. And again, if you lose track of what you try to memorize, you will also lose momentum. And that is typically when you lose your audience as well. So don't try to memorize your whole talk, be it 20 minutes or seven hours, like in our case, but do memorize themes. In other words, kind of like going back to what we talked about earlier, you came up with an outline in the beginning of your uh, work that you were doing to prepare the talk. Uh, When you have themes that you remember along the way, first of all, it's a lot less information to remember. But second of all, those themes act as cues for your memory to say to you, oh, this is now what I'm going to be talking about. And actually, if you think about it nowadays, for example, when the president gives the State of the Union address, he or she, well, only he so far in, in our history in America, but uh, has teleprompters, right? And so you, they're looking left, they're looking right, they know exactly what to say, they probably practice it ahead of time anyways, but every single word verbatim is thought of and spelled out to them ahead of time. Uh, but what did successful speakers do, like Teddy Roosevelt, um, John F. Kennedy, uh, Abraham Lincoln, what did they do Back in the day when there were no teleprompters, they also memorized themes. Uh, In other words, when they had to give long talks, they would practice over and over again, going over the outline of their talk, and then they would essentially ad hoc think through what to say while they were talking. And of course, these were well-practiced orators, and they knew how to deliver uh, a a very powerful message, very literate people, so it took a lot of practice as well. It's not like you're going to be born if you memorize themes uh, as a great speaker, but um, it's, it's a much more effective way to deliver a speech because you're now not worried about digging in your memory for every little word that you might have forgotten to say. By the way, this this podcast recording is a perfect example. This, this episode is going to be about half an hour when we're done with it. Um, we have some keywords written right in front of us that are our themes. And that's about it. We, we know the structure. We know the themes. And... And then the next thing is we know the stories associated with those themes. So we don't have to memorize anything at all. Um, We're just telling you what comes from our heads. So themes are important because it compartmentalizes it for you in your head exactly what you're going to say. And instead of having to memorize, you know, a a thousand things, you really only have to memorize three to five things. Because typically any presentation that you're going to have that you're going to make is going to have three to five main points that you want to make. So within each of those themes, though you essentially want to be telling stories. And there are two reasons why you want to have stories within those themes. Number one is pretty easy and selfish. It's easier for you to memorize stories or to remember stories than it is to memorize a script, right? So when Vadim is telling you about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt or JFK, he already has those stories in his head. He didn't have to have that written down anywhere. Um, And number two is that people only really remember stories and they only really pay attention to stories, right? Uh, if you were just stating facts, if you were just stating uh, statistics, for example, that's not really going to be powerful. They may remember it for about 10 minutes and they're going to forget it. But if you tell somebody a story that evokes an emotion, they're much more likely to remember that for a very long time, sometimes for the rest of their lives if it's a very powerful story. And if, if you think about it, uh, most stories are actually also typically associated with an individual or with people, which is why whenever you read an article on anything, New York Times or Fox News, if that's your thing, uh, you 
those stories are always referencing what happened to one individual, right? So even if you're reading about, God forbid, a bus crash that happened somewhere, they're not going to just tell you there was a bus crash and then there was like 15 people injured. They're going to tell you about that one person whose grandma was waiting for them at the bus stop for them to come and had to go to the hospital and find them and, you know, found that they had broken limbs and they had to like, you know, help and save them and they don't have a lot of money to pay for insurance, right? They're talking about that one specific person and they're evoking an emotional response from you, the reader, or in this case, from the audience uh, to whom you're telling that particular story. So stories are important for multiple reasons. Stories are important to help you memorize it. Stories are important to help the audience remember what you have to say. I mean, think about it. Before we had written word, word? Oh my God, that's one of these words in English that I can't say. Word. Uh, before you had written word, uh, people told each other stories. And for example, the the Iliad and the Odyssey, that was passed on from generation to generation through word of mouth because it was much easier for people to remember stories. And um, think about it from the perspective of having many stories within each theme that you're presenting, but also hopefully, if you can, an overarching story you know, with the beginning, middle, end, a climax, so on and so forth, and a conclusion uh, for your whole presentation as well. Again, it'll increase the chances of you being able to communicate whatever it is effectively to your audience and them walking away with remembering key aspects from what you have to say. So tell a story and also important to remember, make sure that it somehow ties to the human element um, so that it evokes a certain emotion. So the next piece of advice that we have for you is, uh, again, going back to preparedness, right? How do you make sure that you're diligent about practicing over and over again? And how many times uh, is the right amount of times to practice your speech? Uh, the short answer is there's no one answer for everybody, but let's give you an example to hopefully keep you motivated. Mark Benioff, who is a billionaire, founder of Salesforce, one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, he has been quoted saying that when he has to deliver a speech, which he does many times, at least once a year, he does it at Dreamforce in front of thousands of thousands of people, his massive uh, conference, he says that he will practice a speech up to 30 times, not three times. 30 times. Now, this is what's been effective for him. This is the number of times, and again, it probably doesn't do this every single time, but maybe for the most important speeches, but that's the number of times for him uh, that makes him feel comfortable enough, that makes it second nature uh, to the point where he can actually deliver the content in a confident way uh, and in a way that is concise and makes sense. For us, certain times that we've given talks, if it's, let's say, a 30-minute talk, three or four times has been enough. Um, but again, for every single person, it's different. So once you get to a point on your third, fourth, fifth, or 10th time where you feel pretty confident with the material, you're probably good to go. But do remember that when you're up in front of people, especially if you haven't done that many talks, there will be a certain uh, level of nervousness. So if, if practicing in front of a camera, in front of a mirror isn't enough, grab a couple friends and practice in front of them. That'll at least simulate an audience for you. And I'll give you another powerful example of uh, how practice really helps and how it's used elsewhere because, you know, I think uh, I think it's easy to, to hear you should practice, but difficult to absorb why, um, internalize, I should say, why it's something that you should be doing. 
So actors, for example, and I'll draw from my own acting experience, um, usually when you do a role, uh, let's call it a film role, you will get your script. And you start reading that script so you can prepare for that role and understand who that character is. Then typically you do a table read with everybody in the room uh, where you actually read together and start reacting off of other actors so it becomes more natural. And then you will get in front of camera and start filming uh, based on what happened in a table read. So along every each each and every point between the first time you get that script and by the time you're in front of the camera, you you're reading that. Uh, script and you're trying to memorize what it is that you're going to say. Obviously a little bit different here than than speaking because we're saying don't memorize, but the point still uh, is applicable. Well, um, I remember the, the student film that I did uh, a few years back that we went through this entire process and I remember being at home um, reading the script and I felt pretty good about it, but I didn't feel super confident about it. And then when it came time to shoot the scene, we did each scene about 10, 15 times. And typically in film, you really, you do do each scene about 10, 15 times until you really get it right. And so that also so that they have a lot of examples to choose from. Well, by the time you read those lines for that particular scene, the 10th time, you're no longer really acting. It, it becomes sort of a part of you so that you're saying those words as if they're your own. And you're saying it in a way that evokes your own natural emotions. So in that example for actors, the reason why you want to practice so much so that you're not thinking about the words that you're going to say, they actually come out natural because you've said them so many times. And when you're in that live situation in front of camera trying to act out that scene, you really feel like you are in that moment actually experiencing that thing. And the words come out more naturally and you look more natural in front of the camera. So practice undoubtedly incredibly important for any kind of public speaking. When you're up there in front of people, especially if you don't do it a lot, uh, some people get nervous. And one way to combat that, that has worked for me personally, is to speak slowly. But that seems like pretty banal advice. Uh, but to dig a little deeper into that, speak slower than you feel comfortable. At first, it'll be awkward, and you know yourself, you know the rate at which you speak, and um, you may have even heard at some point in your life, if you're a fast talker, some people told you, whoa, 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 slow down, you're talking too fast. If you've heard that more than once, then try to practice speaking very slowly to the point where it's somewhat uncomfortable, but what you'll have the opportunity to do, and I'm doing that right now, what you have the opportunity Sounding to do- Sounding super sexy? Well, thanks. That's weird Thanks. to say to okay. your brother. Yeah, it's awkward. Uh, but but if he's sexy, I'm sexy because we're twins. So oh. that's kind of less weird. Is that? All right. Yeah. <laughs> but what you have the opportunity to do in that scenario is now you can think about the next thing that you're going to say. You can anticipate sort of the next theme or thing that you want to communicate to the audience. Now, this isn't uh, to say that every single person should be speaking incredibly slowly. Gary V. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk of VaynerMedia, uh, he wrote the book, uh, what, was his, what was his first book that's pretty Crush normal? it. Crush it. Crush it. He is actually a pretty fast speaker, and he talks really fast, and he has a lot of emotion and confidence that is communicated through physical manifestations, and that works for him, and the audience is captivated by that. So really, you have to do what works for you, but we're talking about specifically for somebody that's just getting started, it's a good tip for getting comfortable with the process and letting your brain think a little bit. Excellent. Uh, and also another point with, with Gary Vee, you know, some people listening might think, well, but my voice doesn't sound that good or I have an accent or whatever else. Well, 
first of all, if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk speak, his voice is pretty high uh, for for a man, I would say. Mm. Uh, but you don't really even think about that when he's speaking because he has so much energy. And like, I mean, he swears when he talks, and that's sort of his style. But it works for him. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a perfect example of somebody that has an accent. He started taking accent reduction classes when he was uh, shortly after he came to America. And then he had someone tell him, listen, you your voice is very unique. You have a unique accent. Um, you don't really need to take reduction cl- accent reduction classes because then you're going to lose a little bit of who you are. And that's why, you know, his voice is so iconic, right? Uh, I'll be back. But <laughs> it's so iconic that you're always going to, when you hear him, you're going to know exactly who that is. So, I would say be comfortable in your own shoes, whatever kind of voice you have, whatever kind of accent you have, it's okay. That doesn't mean you should avoid public speaking altogether. Teddy Roosevelt is actually another great example. When he first started his career as an assemblyman, people did not like to hear him speak and they tried to avoid it. Um, He had a pretty nasally voice, Mr. Speaker! (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, and he uh, tended to kind of bulldoze through people because he thought he was the man, which he was actually ultimately in many realms. Uh, but it took a lot of practice. Uh, you know, he never gave up. When he was in Harvard, he'd just uh, look for opportunities to speak when he was an assemblyman and obviously when he became president. And throughout all this time, he just got up there and spoke in front of people, got better and better, and uh, then sort of ultimately ended up being known as one of the best orators out there so you know even if you are not that great now if you have a goal of becoming a good speaker obviously like anything else get out there and start practicing it it's the best way to do it Um, and do face your fear because you'll know that when you're up there you start eventually you get to a point where you get comfortable and you actually enjoy the process yeah nowadays when i go on stage to speak in front of groups even if it's several hundred people i look around i I sort of revel in it a little bit because I love being in front of people now. I see all the people. I kind of absorb the fact that they're there. They're there to listen to me. Uh, they're there to, to learn something. And I sort of make myself feel comfortable just by acknowledging that they're there for me. Um, but, you know, that takes time. It's not automatic. And I'm confident that those of you who are listening, if you're actually going to put in the work and take some of these things into, into account, you're going to do the same. Thanks a lot for joining. Uh, you know, get out there, do do whatever it takes to get on stage. A lot of people suggest uh, trying out improv because it forces you to uh, to to kind of dive really deep into the unknown. It's also one of the most difficult forms of comedy because you're coming unprepared. You you follow certain structures, but you're coming relatively unprepared, and you have to deal with the unknown. Uh, so maybe start there. Do whatever works for you, but do find opportunities to speak, whether it's in a work setting. Or or um, in your personal life, it's gonna pay dividends in your life uh, forever because it's a skill that can be applied in many, many different scenarios. All right, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to us speak. Thank you.